1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, beginning to read from verse 35. The resurrection of the body. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With that kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Perhaps of wheat or of some, something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The board that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a living, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was with the earthly men, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly men, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly men, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly men. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, and flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perish, perishable inherit the imperishable? Listen, I tell, I tell you a mystery. <clears throat> we will not all sleep, but we all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortal. When the perishable has been clothed, with the imperishable and the mortal will immortality, mortality, then the, the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where or death or is your victory? Where or death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor, is, the, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. So when I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s, I could come off a rugby field uh, with just about every part of my body hurting, and the next day, I'd be fine. 
I was invincible, or so I thought. Um, when I was in my mid-30s, I began to realize that relatively minor injuries could last a long time. And now, 10 years on, uh, I'm beginning to understand that I cannot train at the same uh, high intensity indefinitely. Uh, I'm still trying, but it's gradually dawning on me. Why? Why this gradual decline? Well, just like everyone else in the world, my body is decaying. To put it bluntly, I'm gradually dying. That sounds like a terrible thing to say, but it's true, and it's true for all of us. And we don't like it. We get frustrated with our ailing bodies. Well, this morning's reading is very good news because Paul tells us that we can look forward to new resurrection bodies that are free from pain, illness, infirmity, and death. So in chapter 5, Paul is talking about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, that's a past event, and the resurrection of all believers, that's a future event. Resurrection was a controversial topic in the Jewish world. You remember that the Pharisees, they believed in a bodily resurrection, and the uh, Sadducees, they they didn't believe in that. They refuted it. Um, And it seems that there were some in the Corinthian church who believed that this life is all there is. In other words, they thought that all the benefits of following Jesus come to us in the here and now. But that way of thinking will only ever lead to disillusionment uh, because if we would have all the benefits of God's kingdom now, our lives will be perfect. Our lives aren't perfect. Things go wrong. So if we were to think like that, when things go wrong, we would be disillusioned. Not only that, but our perspective on the subject of resurrection will completely change the way that we live our lives. So Paul is trying to help them and us to see that Jesus' resurrection will lead to the resurrection of all those who have put their hope and their trust in him. And he anticipates some questions. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Uh, These kinds of questions are inevitable. And uh, I, I get asked these kind of things a lot. Um, by all kinds of different people. And Paul begins to answer these questions by using the analogy of a seed that's been planted in the ground. It's the same analogy that Jesus used when he was talking to his disciples about the necessity of his death. This idea that a, a seed is planted in the ground, it's buried, it looks dead, yet out of that seed comes new life. Uh, a little shoot that will grow into a new plant. But the plant that grows is not identical to the seed that was planted. So Paul begins to talk about the kind of bodies that we will have post-resurrection. And to help us understand this, he says, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. And really what he's saying is that our bodies need to be suited to our environment. 
Let me explain. So the book of Genesis describes a physical world where heaven and earth are conjoined. They are one. We see that right at the beginning of Genesis. Humans and gods, uh, humans and God inhabited the same sphere, if you like. Uh, when humans rebelled against God, heaven and earth were torn asunder. In other words, God and humans could no longer inhabit the same sphere. They could no longer dwell together. Uh, the Bible tells us that history is moving towards a time when heaven and earth will be reunited and God will once again live with his people. We read about heaven and earth coming together in Revelation 21, which says this, verses 1 to 4, and it's worth reading in full. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. In the Hebrew uh, mindset, the sea represented uh, chaos. It doesn't literally mean no sea. No longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So our mortal, mortal bodies even though they are subject to decay, are well suited to creation as it now stands. But our mortal bodies are not well suited to a renewed and restored creation where heaven and earth are once more united. Hence, Paul uses the analogy of different kinds of flesh. Not all flesh is the same. To take it a bit further, uh, a tropical fish is not well suited to uh, life on a snow-capped mountain. A polar bear is not well suited to life in the Sahara Desert. A crow is not well suited to life a hundred meters below the surface of the ocean. And our mortal bodies are not well suited to a renewed and restored creation. That which is corrupt and subject to decay is not well suited to an environment that is eternal. As Paul says in verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so that which is sown, uh, a corrupt human body, will be very different from that which is raised. Listen to verses 43 to 44. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. The plant is always more glorious than the seed out of which it grows. The human body is amazing in its intricacy, its beauty, its complexity. But our bodies are a faint shadow of those we will have in the life to come. And that, in fact, is true of the whole of creation. Think of the most breathtaking view you have ever seen. You know, when we look out on a particularly beautiful part of creation, it's hard to imagine anything more wonderful. Well, the new heaven and the new earth will be beyond human imagination. So we're going to have a new, imperishable, physical body 
that is different from our current mortal body. It'll be different, but there will also be continuity. Uh, when my parents were here visiting, uh, my dad and Caleb planted some vegetables in the garden. One of the things they planted uh, was uh, carrot seeds. And not surprisingly, uh, they are starting to grow into carrots. You don't, don't plant carrot seeds and get palm trees. Uh, there is continuity between that which is planted and that which grows. Our resurrection bodies, you know, we're not going to look like aliens. We're not going to look completely different. When Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples recognized him, but he was different. The disciples uh, um, recognized Jesus. They were able to touch him. They spoke with him. They ate with him. They walked around with him. He had a real physical human body, but it was different. At one point, Jesus appeared in a room with the disciples. He wasn't impeded by solid walls or a locked door. And it seemed that he was able to move seamlessly between the spheres of heaven and earth. Of course, we won't need to do that because they will be one and the same. The key difference with Jesus' resurrection body is that it was and is imperishable. When Jesus first came into the world, when he was born as a tiny, vulnerable baby in Bethlehem, he had a mortal body, just like ours. Paul uses the word natural body, by which he means a body belonging to this age of frailty and death. That's the kind of body Jesus had. If that were not the case, crucifixion wouldn't have worked. Jesus would not have been able to die. But he did die, and he rose again three days later with an imperishable body, a body that will never die. And all our hope for the life to come rests on this fact, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Aging and death has bothered human beings since the dawn of time. You may have heard of the elixir of life, the fabled potion that grants immortality to the one who drinks it. It's uh, mentioned in an ancient Mesopotamian text called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is uh, well in excess of 4,000 years old. So this is not a new concern. In recent times, a growing number of tech billionaires, including... um, Amazon's Jeff Bezos have invested huge sums of money in the fast emerging field of longevity and in basically an attempt to cheat death. But there is no elixir of life. Technology will never enable us to live forever. And even if such technology were possible, it still wouldn't deal with the problem of sin. The irony is we don't need such technology. We don't need to cheat death because Jesus has defeated death once and for all. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Everlasting life comes through Jesus and only through Jesus. Earlier in chapter 5, Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of the resurrection. 
Using Paul's analogy, Jesus was the first seed to be sown and the first plant, the first fruits to emerge. And someone might say, well, what about Lazarus or those other people that Jesus raised from the dead? Or what about um, those people who were raised by Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament? Weren't they the first? Well, no, because even though they were raised from the dead, they were unchanged in as much as their bodies were still mortal. They weren't resurrected. They were, in effect, resuscitated. And in time, they all died again. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, the first to be raised imperishable. Jesus has defeated death, not just for himself, but for all those who put their hope and their trust in him. God's people, Christians, will inherit the imperishable life that Jesus was the first to taste, just as all human beings have inherited sin and death from Adam. We are all familiar with uh, the concept of heredity, the fact of heredity. Uh, Sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. Uh, When I was a small boy, I used to laugh at my dad's bushy eyebrows, and he always used to say, like father, like son. And now when Caleb laughs at my bushy eyebrows, I say to him, like father, like son. You can see what you've got coming. Unfortunately, we've all inherited something far more serious and sinister than bushy eyebrows. Sin and its consequence, death, is like a hereditary disease that has been passed on to every person who has ever lived. Human beings were created to be eternal. But mortality, what Paul calls our natural body, has come down to us from our first parents. When the first humans uh, rebelled against God, when they rejected God, and the spheres of heaven and earth were torn asunder, sin and death entered into the human race. Since then, we have been bound by the constraints and the destiny of Adam, the earthly man, as Paul calls him. But now there is a new man, a remade man, a heavenly man. His name is Jesus. And if we put our hope and our trust in him, we are bound to him. We are in him and he is in us. And we inherit not Adam's death, but Jesus' life. Everlasting life. Faith in Jesus transfers us from death to life. So when will we be raised in glory and power with bodies that are imperishable? Well, the New Testament makes it very clear that Jesus is going to return. And when he does, that is the moment when God's people will be clothed with immortality. Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So when Jesus returns, many will have died, fallen asleep, as Paul puts it. Some will still be living, and all will be changed. Of course, we're being changed now in this life. We're being sanctified. Uh, that means that God is helping us to become more like Jesus. But that is a, is a gradual process with fits and starts, twists, turns, pitfalls, and setbacks. The change that occurs when Jesus returns 
will be instant and permanent. Jesus will return. The trumpet will sound, signifying not just the end of the battle, but total victory. The dead will be raised imperishable, and those Christians who are alive at the time will be changed instantly, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, and death will be no more. Uh, Many Christians want to know what happens to a believer between their death and resurrection on the last day when Jesus returns. I get asked this a lot. Uh, Some would say, well, Paul talks about the dead in Christ being asleep. So presumably they're not conscious of anything until the day of their resurrection, just like being in a deep sleep. Others point out that Jesus said to the criminal on the cross next to him, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise, which seems to suggest something more immediate. So how do we reconcile those two perspectives? Well, this is a little bit speculative, so don't receive this as uh, some kind of doctrine. But I suspect uh, that when we die, our perception of time will be very different. Uh, We may even be outside of time, as it were. In other words, it's quite possible that we will pass straight through death and immediately be resurrected, along with every Christian who has ever lived and every Christian who will ever live. It could be that there is no delay for anyone, and yet everyone is all, are all resurrected at exactly the same time. But we can't know this for sure, but that's the only way I can see of sort of reconciling those two different perspectives. A lot of people talk about their uh, loved ones looking down on them. And I understand why this uh, might seem comforting, but there's nothing in the Bible that would suggest that that is the case. Our comfort comes from knowing that our loved ones are in the care of a just and loving God, and that resurrection life is possible to all who turn to Christ, even if they do so in the very last moments of their lives. This is perhaps one of the reasons why Paul talks about those who have fallen asleep. It prevents that ambiguity, prevents us from focusing on those that might be looking down on and keeps us focusing actually on Christ and his goodness. Personally, I find it quite comforting to think that all Christians might enter into God's eternal presence at the very same time. To die and from our perspective, to be immediately resurrected with all those who know and love Jesus. But whatever the case, those who have died in Christ will be raised with real, physical, imperishable resurrection bodies. This is very good news. Paul finishes this section with these words. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This promise of resurrection life should radically change the way that we live our lives because we understand that we don't receive all the benefits of following Jesus in this life. If we're going to give ourselves fully to the Lord's work, we need to grasp this. We don't just have, at best, 80 or 90 or maybe 100 years in which to enjoy life. 
we have eternity. And true life comes from faithfully serving the Lord in the knowledge that our labor is not in vain. We serve the Lord knowing that we will be with him forever in a world where heaven and earth have been joined back together, a world of unimaginable splendor and delight. Our earthly bodies are wearing out, and life can be hard at times. For some people, life is hard most of the time. But whoever we are, whatever we've got going on in life, whether we think things are going swimmingly or whether we feel that we're in the midst of a a terrible time, whatever our situation as Christians, we can always say with confidence, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this life to enjoy to make the most out of it, to serve you, to uh, live lives that are pleasing to you, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this exciting journey that, uh, that, we, that you have called us to and we have embarked on. But we also recognize that this life, the 80 or 90 or 100 years or whatever it is that we get, uh, may for many of us be less than that, but whatever we get, we recognize that that is not it that there is life beyond the grave, that Jesus has, has made a way through death to everlasting life. And we thank you for this. And we pray that we will live life to the full in light of this with the knowledge that this life is not all there is. Father, help us to make the most of every day of our lives and to live in a way that points to your kingdom and the gospel of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.